Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for July 8th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. On this week's edition, we get a preview of the upcoming Diversity in Ag virtual conference. We learn about the ongoing problem of fire ants, and we discuss the latest crop progress report from the USDA. First, Jason Brown talks to Arkansas Farm Bureau Vice President of Public Affairs and Government Relations, Stanley Hill, to get a preview of next week's Diversity in Ag virtual conference, hosted by Farm Bureau in partnership with several other agriculture and educational organizations. Today, I'm joined in the Arkansas AgCast studio by Stanley Hill, Vice President of Public Affairs and Government Relations at Arkansas Farm Bureau. I asked Stanley to join us today to share a preview of the Diversity in Ag virtual conference coming up on July 22nd. Stanley, so good to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Awesome. Uh, Yeah, so let's just start with a couple of the basics here. Is this the first year for the Diversity in Ag conference? No, actually, it's the second year. Uh, This was started last year as an outreach, if you will, Uh, an effort to expand the awareness of career and business opportunities that exist in agriculture in the state of Arkansas. Oh, okay. So seeing that it started last year, I bet that, uh, I bet that it was started as a virtual conference then. No, uh, no, it did not start as a virtual conference. We had, uh, folks, uh, live in, in person, uh, this was February of last year before things began shutting down, and uh, it was a very good conference. We had very good at- attendance, um, some outstanding speakers uh, and topics for discussion, um, some outstanding um, participants as it relates to co-sponsors of the event as well. It was uh, basically an all-agriculture mm. uh, group yeah. Okay. So does that mean that, so that's an interesting, uh, look back at the, at the first year, does that mean it's an Arkansas farm? It's, is this an Arkansas farm bureau event then? It is. Uh, it was a brainchild of our, uh, local affairs, rural development, uh, person. And, uh, we expanded on that, invited others to come alongside and partner with us Uh, We have partners from the USDA that includes the Farm Service Agency as well as Natural Resources Conservation Service, that's NRCS, uh, the Arkansas Land and Farm Development Corporation, um, the University of Arkansas, the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture, uh, the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. So there were a number of uh, participants. Uh, So we build it as a public-private uh, uh, group as it relates to uh, the conference participants. Yeah, I know. That sounds like a, a great group of folks, a, a, a who's who of Arkansas agriculture, uh, if you will. So you talked about some of the partners this year. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, the year's event, uh, even agenda details that you might have to share? Okay. Um Again, this year, it's a little different. Uh, When we started our planning earlier 
in the year. We were just un- uncertain as to the direction um, we were going as it related to in-person or virtual. Mm-hmm. And to play it safe, we decided to uh, go virtual. But at the same time, knowing that uh, that should actually increase our exposure and allow uh, participants that maybe otherwise would not uh, have been positioned uh, to be a part of this conference. So um, we're very pleased to be virtual and have that capacity. Um, uh, Once again, we have some very uh, outstanding speakers and people that will be participating this time around. Uh, As last year, uh, we had Governor... Asa Hutchinson, and he's agreed to uh, give remarks again this year, as well as the Secretary of Agriculture for the state of Arkansas, West Ward, and uh, other program participants. Oh yeah, it sounds like a sounds like a great lineup. Well, speaking of okay, so we've covered a little bit about some of the presenters mm-hmm. uh, in the program there. Uh, who who who's invited to attend, or who who? Better yet, who might be interested in attending? You mentioned business and career opportunities and things like that. Uh, who, yeah, who's our who's our target audience to attend this this event? Well, uh, you know, it's an open event. Um, anyone with an interest in agriculture really mm-hmm. is invited to be a part. Uh, we are um, targeting uh, new and beginning farmers or those uh, who have an interest in farming. Um, as well as experienced farmers, because we need them there to share their uh, the do's and don'ts of uh, involving uh, oneself in the farming community. Uh, but also students of agriculture uh, or those that are potential students uh, that would have an interest in agriculture are welcome to uh, be a part and listen in as relates to careers in agriculture. How, how timely. I believe we just had a group of state FFA officers uh, come through the office, and, and yes. I, bet they, I bet they would fit that bill well. Then. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, so from your perspective, what makes this a, a successful event? If you, if you walk away, maybe, maybe from last year, or even thinking about when, you, when, the, when the lights go off this year following the event, uh, what, what makes you, what puts a smile on your face and says, you know, I think we did some good work here. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, a year ago, I would say the highlight in addition to the topics covered was the fact that, uh, it was an excellent, uh, opportunity for people to network. Mm. And, um, it was a very diverse group. And by that, I'm saying a great mixture of men, women, uh, young, old, um, experienced, inexperienced. And uh, so that made it a very, very good uh, conference. This year, again, we have a, a great lineup of topics to be discussed. That um, includes marketing and branding of your farm, mm-hmm. uh, things that uh, are near and dear to people's hearts as it relates to what what am I going to do? What am I going to produce? And, and how am I going to accomplish this goal? Also, uh, another topic being uh, careers in agriculture. Uh, you know, agriculture is sort of a sub 
community, if you will, uh, that unless you're actually involved or engaged in it, you really don't know all the, uh, all the potential that exists as far as careers in agriculture. It's not just uh, all the time being that uh, actual farmer that's uh, plowing the fields or tending to the livestock, et cetera. But there are so many other uh, opportunities, and we're going to be exploring that during the conference. Urban agriculture mm. is an area yeah. that has um, seen a lot of interest of late. As a matter of fact, the last farm bill um, actually included monies, uh, grant monies available for people who live in the cities uh, that would have an interest in uh, getting involved in some aspect of farming. So that will be discussed. And then we'll have a panel uh, of farmers uh, discussing their um, different uh, experiences. And that's always a, it's usually an entertaining session, or I say usually, it was last year, a mm-hmm. very entertaining session. Uh, but also informative. And um, it's always good to learn from others' uh, experiences. Uh, You know, some say experience is the best teacher, but actually uh, experience of others Mm -hmm. (laughs) is probably the best teacher. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you've certainly lined up a, a, a diverse offering as far as the programming goes. Um I know that branding piece, we're seeing that become more and more popular as folks start sort of smaller scale farms, whether that be produce or, mm-hmm. or livestock or whatever that may be. And I, I know branding is a big piece of part of that or and even large farms as well. So right. um, that all sounds incredibly interesting. So tell us, so if someone is listening to this right now and they say that uh, that's something I want to do, mm-hmm. um, how can they register uh, and attend the event? Well, um, the conference is free and open to all who wish to attend. I'd like to emphasize that again. Mm-hmm. And I would ask you to visit the Arkansas Farm Bureau website and uh, click the link that uh, says the Diversity in Ag Conference and that will uh, lead you to the registration, which again is free. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we would like to know all who will be uh, present or on the virtual link, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, that sounds perfect. And to remind us one last time uh, the date and the time for the event. Yes, it's going to be Thursday, July 22nd from 9 a.m. till 1 p.m. And uh, we certainly hope to see you there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Stanley, for joining us to share the details of the Diversity in Ag virtual conference happening one more time from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. on July 22nd. And we will see you there. Next, fire ants continue to be a problem in Arkansas. This year, despite the frigid winter weather, the quarantine area for fire ants has been extended into four new counties. Steve Powell talked with Kelly Lofton a University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture Extension entomologist, to better understand why they thrive in this part of the country, the damage they can cause, and how best to treat the problem. 
Welcome, everybody. On this portion of the AgCast, we're going to talk about all things fire ants. Now, if you live in Arkansas, specifically the southern part of Arkansas, you know a little something about fire ants. Well, our guest today knows a lot about fire ants. He's Kelly Lofton, the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture Extension Entomologist, also a professor. Kelly, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Appreciate the time. Kelly, I'm going to confess to you right off the bat I am fascinated by the history of fire ants in this country, in the southeastern part of the United States. We take them for granted, but historically speaking, uh, they're a pretty recent uh, uh, inhabitant. Yes. Uh, you know, they first came into the U.S. Uh, Mobile Bay uh, in the 1930s and 40s, depending on which species you're talking about, because there are two species of imported fire ants. Uh so from that time, they've slowly moved northward. Uh, the first sighting in Arkansas would have been 1958. So and, 40 uh, years to make it to Arkansas, yeah. yeah. Uh, that would have been in Union County, uh, El Dorado. Wow. And, and you mentioned, Kelly, two species of fire ants. Uh, differentiate the two for us, if you would. Okay. Uh, we have the red-imported fire, fire ant, which we see in most all of Arkansas. Uh, that has fire ants, that is. The black imported is is found several of them areas in Mississippi and Alabama and a couple of counties, maybe three counties in eastern Arkansas up next to the Mississippi River. Am I right to characterize the biggest fire ant problems are in the southern half of the state? That's That's sort of right. But now with the, the infestation has moved northward, you've got uh, producers in the Arkansas River Valley that would probably disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk, we're going to talk a little bit about the quarantine areas, which has been extended this year. And I guess, uh, you know, the, the thinking might have been with the weather we had, especially I'm taking, talking about the sub-zero temperatures for an extended period of time that the fire ant uh, population might have taken a hit this year. Is that the case? Well, I, I'll, I'll say it right now. I, this winter, in my thoughts on the fire ant population, left the egg on my face. <laughs> and, and what I was thinking back about 10, 10 or 12 years ago, we had a really cold period, not uh, near as long, and not as cold as we had in February. And in some areas of Arkansas, we had a 70% decline in firing abundance. Wow. But they quickly recovered in about a year and a half. Right. But uh, my only thought is uh, that blanket of snow protected them this year. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Wow. You would have, it, it, you would have thought it would have had the opposite effect. Uh, ev ev evidently, that's it, because I, I haven't seen the the level of, of uh, winter kill that I, I thought I would see. Uh, Kelly, they do thrive in in warmer temperatures. So is is there a is there a limit to this march northward and westward uh, for ants? Do you think uh, overall for the country? Uh, th there is now. If you look westward, uh, when you start getting into areas where it's very dry, mm -hmm. arid conditions, uh, they can't survive. A good example would be uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico. 
Okay. Uh, that's Quarantine County in New Mexico. Uh, the only place they're really found is in the irrigated areas of that mm. county. Oh. So, so they so like the wet. They like a little bit of moisture, yes. In terms of the damage that uh, these fire ants can cause, I mean, we all, anybody who's ever been stung by a fire ant knows that's not a pleasant experience, but they do a lot more damage than just uh, sting people, right? That, that's correct. Now, if we look uh, at the economics, and this is some data from, oh, 12, 15 years ago, the losses in Arkansas were estimated at $128 million a year. And that includes losses, actual damage, and, and control. But since that time, there's been quite a bit of uh, real estate added to their infested mm. areas. So I, I would say that's an underestimate now. now but yeah, go ahead. You know, you see da- damages uh, done in agriculture, livestock and forage systems, uh, wildlife systems and even in row crops yeah. uh, that's that's the sort of damage you see you know you get large colonies infesting an area especially if it's got a heavy soil it'll interfere with harvesting uh you know they'll have to sharpen cutter blades more often oh yeah you run over a two foot high anthill and that's that's going to cause problems so there, there yeah. there's some other issues even on uh livestock and this is rare but it does occasionally happen you know if a baby calf happens to be born on a fire ant colony, it, it can be uh, damaging. Uh, yeah, you in, know, and Kelly, in terms of what they eat, they're omnivorous, right? They eat uh, they eat everything, basically. I guess is what that means. Uh, so, is that an issue with with crops? Uh, in some cases, like for example, you know, you'll see some damage to okra pods. Mm like that but uh likewise uh you look at some of the other feeding characteristics that are positives uh a good example of that would be like uh, the sugarcane boar down in louisiana you know the the farmers welcome the fire ant for that because uh, they they help reduce the yeah. population of the pest and sugarcane sugar so it depends on your outlook because they do like to eat other insects too. Yeah, and do, is there a natural predator for fire ants uh, that that will help control the population, or do they basically move on unabated? Well, they basically move on unabated. Uh, however, uh, starting in about 2002 is when we started, and this was a USDA project. Uh, APHIS and ARS, we started releasing a decapitating horde fly in Arkansas and across the southeast. And it's a, basically a, a predator, actually a parasite from South America that's very species-specific. It only attacks fire ants, imported fire ants. So we've done some of those releases uh, since 2002, and we've got a couple of species established in Arkansas, but the number of species you see down in South America is more like 13 to 15 that are impacting mm. them. So it would have been much better when it seen more impact, likely if we'd have been able to release all those 
yeah. different species of, of the foreign fly. Well, that but, is uh, interesting. So too early to tell maybe overall what a more extended uh, time period would be to see if that is going to be ultimately be effective or is that? I, I would say it's a, a little too early because uh, we have a couple, we've released four species. We have two that we're still not sure if they've established yet, but again, it would have been great if, if we could have yeah. released several more, but it, it's quite a feat even getting the nod, yes nod to uh, release these things. Okay. And it's, it's a uh, definitely a USDA project. Yeah. And once the funding kind of went away from that project, we've all backed off of it. Sure. Understood. Boy, it is a fascinating, uh, a fascinating uh, idea. It really is. Uh, let's talk about the quarantine areas. Uh, and if you look at a map of Arkansas and see the quarantine areas, uh, it, it does encompass most of Southern Arkansas, but uh, this year they've extended it to, uh, to include four new counties, Logan, Prairie, uh, White and Sebastian counties, and is that again because of the continual uh, migration of the ants? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, though in those areas, the fire ants have become, I would say, more widespread than they were previously, to the point that uh, they needed felt like they needed to be included in the quarantine area. Yeah, when we we drop the word quarantine, I, I guess we should explain a little bit more about that. How does the quarantine work? And the and the the object of the quarantine is obviously to not uh, assist their migration through human intervention, right? That, that's correct. The, the quarantine was initiated in uh, 1958, actually, USDA APHIS regulation. And it was just designed to slow or prevent the artificial spread of fire ants from these quarantined or infested areas to the non-quarantined, uninfested areas. So that's basically what the quarantine is. And I guess the next question would probably be, what are those quarantined uh, items? You read my mind. (laughs) So if we look at the list, grass sod. Mm-hmm. Is important. Baled hay and straw that has been stored in contact with the soil. Nursery stock with soil or potting media attached, just and then just soil. Okay. And use soil moving equipment. Okay. What if I wanted to take uh, my uh, grandmother in Benton County, uh, some from here in Little Rock, some tomato plants that I grew in my backyard? Is that something that I need to get a permit for, or is that not big enough to worry about? Well, in uh, in Benton County, you would want to be careful. Uh, now, there's probably no one looking at that but that would be a potential route of moving fire ants into a non-quarantined area so so a little self-policing would go a long way right there if people would just be cognizant of the fact that they could make the problem worse right but when you start talking about uh for instance nursery stock that's purchased from from a store uh, that's, that's when the, the, uh, consumer can have some impact, you know, and, and that, that's basically saying, well, 
I'm I'm going here. I need to purchase items that are uh, free of fire ants. Mm-hmm. And if, if they're following the regulation, they will have probably entered a compliance agreement to ship these items to non-quarantined areas. And that's a compliance agreement with uh, Arkansas Department of Ag and USDA. And basically it details what steps they need to ship those items and not ship the ants. Gotcha. Good information. Uh, Let's talk briefly, if we can, a little bit about treatment options, because boy, oh boy, if you ask somebody how they treat fire ants in their yard, you'll get a whole lot of answers. Some of them, home remedies just a lot of a, a lot of a, a crazy <laughs> crazy solutions tell me what works and what doesn't okay first i'll talk about the easiest method to control them okay and i say control my should say manage <clears throat> would be uh using fire ant baits fire ant specific baits uh they're granular most of them go out at about a pound to a pound and a half per acre. Uh, you just broadcast it. Uh, you're relying on the ants to forage to pick it up. So it's forgiving in terms of uh, how you apply it. So you don't have to cover every square foot like you would a contact insecticide because you remember the ants go forage to pick it, they right. pick it up. They can, they can forage easily 30, 30 feet from a fire ant colony. Okay. So that's that's probably the easiest and least expensive method to and, control. And Kelly, even with that, a, a little patience is required, right? You're not going to see overnight results uh, from that, right? That's absolutely right. Now, especially if you're using uh, an insect growth regulator type product that's in the bait, you know, you may be looking at a month to six weeks to see good control. Uh, whereas if you're uh, using a, there's one or two bait products that you can actually get control of within a week. Unfortunately, those products uh, are not approved for any agriculture use yet or very limited, but uh, used a lot uh, in homeowner situations or commercial turf, things like that. Gotcha. So you're you're telling me that the instant grits and the orange peels and the vinegar probably aren't the way to go. No, <laughs> neither neither is diesel or gasoline. Oh, you, you hear know. that a lot too. Yes, and the, the dangers of getting in the groundwater with that, of course, are, are something everyone should be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'll shift gears a little bit. You know, in terms of treatment in some of these regulated items, and I'll, I'll use grass sod as an example. Over the last oh, 12 years at least or longer, we've been doing pretty much yearly trials, uh, looking at different treatment options for quarantine treatment of grass sod. So that situation, you're not using baits. Mm-hmm. Now, we did some studies later on where we're using a combination of baits and contacts. But anyway, uh, you're wanting a product that you put out that's going to provide some residual activity so that it can be, uh, there'll be a period of X number of weeks after treatment that that material can be shipped. So, so it's, it's kind of a completely different situation and, and actually more costly. Yeah. Is one expect. 
It sounds like it. Kelly, it's a fascinating conversation. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I learned so much just here in the last few minutes. And I, I again, sincerely thank you for, for talking with us. Thank you. Finally, Keith Sutton sits down with Arkansas Farm Bureau Director of Commodity Activities and Market Information, Brandy Carroll, to get the details on the June 30th Crop Progress Report just released by the USDA. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and uh, today is Crop Acreage Report time. We're going to visit with Brandy Carroll, who's the Director of Commodity Activities and Market Information here at Farm Bureau. Brandy, welcome to AgCast. Thank you so much for having me, Keith. It's good to be back. It is. We we haven't talked in a while, but this is a real important report that comes out uh, this time every year. Uh, our farmers are kind of uh, waiting to hear what type of information it includes about uh, what's in the ground now. Uh, and we're going to kind of take that commodity by commodity and uh, see what this report says. It just came out the end of the month. And right. uh, so it's brand new and a lot of people haven't had a chance to see it yet. So, so what's in there we want folks to know about, Brandy? Well, um, we can start with rice. Uh, in Arkansas, we see a total acreage of 1.241 million acres. Uh, that's 1.12 million acres of long grain and 121,000 uh, acres of medium and short grain. Uh, that crop, honestly, is maybe bigger than we were expecting, even though it's down uh, approximately 15% from last year. We're still actually, though, looking at the possibility of larger-than-average abandonment due to the severe flooding in eastern Arkansas. Rice is not normally a crop where we see high abandonment because it is an irrigated crop, um, but um, I, I think we still don't know the full scope of the flood. So, And, and that flood in particularly down around the Dumas area. Uh, we're talking about uh, an event where we had 20 inches of rain just in a couple of days. So it was really, truly historic. Right. Uh, we yes. don't see that uh, typically at all. So there could be some pretty big impacts from that, I guess. There could still be some big impacts. And how about our soybeans? Are, are they going to be affected too? Uh, potentially, yes. Um, we planted over 3 million acres of soybeans uh, in Arkansas this year. Um, and soybeans in particular do not do well when they're underwater. Um, and so, you know, we could see some higher abandonment there. Now, just in terms of percentage of the U.S. crop, you know, in, in rice we grow almost 50% of the U.S. crop. So what happens in Arkansas uh, – affects the markets maybe more than it does in some other crops yeah so uh soybeans in the united states we've planted 87.555 million acres um so but that crop estimate did not change from the march planning intentions report and i think you know the the average trade estimate predicted at least a 1.5 million acre increase to that and so what we initially saw in reaction to the report was a huge move in futures markets, but it was very short-lived. The market has retraced a lot of those gains at this point. So, uh, you know, we will be looking at um, at the weather now to see the yield potential, right. and that'll be the big focus of the market for the next few weeks. And then uh, number three on our list is cotton. Uh, wow, it's... Uh 
it's down considerably, right? It, it is. Um, cotton acreage in Arkansas uh, is estimated to be 410,000 acres. That's down for fi- from 520,000 a year ago. Uh, all U.S. cotton, which is uh, upland cotton and American Pima cotton, those acres are um, estimated to be 11,719,000. Uh, that's down from over 12 million acres a year ago. However, uh, rain in West Texas has improved the crop conditions there, and we might actually see fewer abandoned acres in Texas and a better yield than we've seen in a few years. So we might be able to make up um, make up some of the lost acres in yield potential. That would be good. And then uh, last but not least on our list is corn. And uh, where are we standing there, according to the report? Sure. U.S. cotton acres are pegged at 92,700,000 acres. Um, in Arkansas, where uh, we've planted 750,000, that's up from 620,000 in 2020. Um, the trade, again, like in soybeans, was expecting a bigger number. Um, and again, resulted in a huge move in the market that lasted just a couple of days. Um, since that time, we've seen a big gap down and, um, you know, retracement of those gains. Um, you, you know, large acreage increases for corn, though, uh, have occurred in states like the Dakotas and Minnesota, where there is a historic drought underway. Yeah, and a so, pretty bad drought. Right. Too. And so yield potential um, in those states could could be impacted and so you know as in the others we're sort of shifting our focus to the weather and to the yield potential of the crop now that we know what acres are in the ground so well that's a good thorough report we've taken a lot of information and compacted it down for everybody who's listening uh we'll uh, continue to try to keep everybody up to date as we learn more uh through our podcast and Uh, our social media and other means and uh, we always appreciate you taking time out and giving us uh, your thoughts on what's going on we appreciate that very much good thanks for having me that's a wrap for this week's arkansas agcast join us again next thursday for more news and views on arkansas agriculture